Well, welcome back to uh, week three, I think it is, for our discipleship study. Um, it's been a, a thrill so far to be working through this material with you. Um, challenging, convicting, it always is when you think through these topics, but um, it's exciting too at the same time as we think about uh, the Lord making us increasingly useful uh, in the lives of one another here at this church. And um, So let's, uh, let's just begin in prayer. And then we'll launch into uh, this week. Father, I'm thankful for just another opportunity to be with your people and to sing and fellowship and learn from you and your word. I pray that you would help me to be clear and, uh, and that you would teach us much about uh, discipling one another. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's just begin with a quick review. How many of you, this is your first time in the class? Okay, so for, the, for these folks, let's, let's review together. What, week one, what did we cover? And you've got to remember, you slept since then. What was it? Hey, by the way, I finished reading the book you gave me last week. Wow. Yeah, but don't ask me to teach. Okay. The rule when I give away books is you have to give it to someone else when you're done. Oh. Yeah. This is a really nice girl. She's mellow. Yeah, I'll give it to her. It's great. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) All right, week one, what do we cover? Biblical vision for discipleship. A biblical vision for discipleship. And why is that important? It can go wrong. Correct. Right. Can go wrong. (laughs) Why is biblical vision important? What? It's commanded. Yep, it's commanded. Okay, so yeah, vision's important because we, we need to know kind of what we're aiming for. We want the Bible to kind of frame up how we think about this, this role of discipleship. So you mentioned our first, I said there were three key texts. There's more than that, but three key texts that help us get a biblical vision or kind of frame up for us what discipling is. So the first one was Matthew 28. What do we learn from Matthew 28? High points about discipleship. Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth, and that's important. Why? Success is certain in the endeavor. That's right. Because if it's on us, it's not going to happen. Um, we are too unfaithful and erratic to, uh, to disciple well. But if Christ is behind us, if he's promised to help us and use our fish and loaves and multiply them, then uh, we, can, we can have confidence. So Matthew 28 is there. What else does Matthew 28 teach us? Yes, that is, the, that is sort of the clarion call for the church. So whatever else we're doing, we, discipleship and making disciples needs to be at the forefront of, of our vision as believers and as individuals and as a corporate body as a church. So how would you describe what two aspects are involved in, in making disciples from Matthew 28? Well, as you're going, so that means wherever you're at. Yep, so you go and make disciples. And then what are, the, what are those two aspects of that? Baptizing and teaching. So we could say conversion. So we want to be sharing sharing the gospel with folks to the point to where they're committing to Christ and we're baptizing them. So there's conversion. And then there's also, uh, we might say, maturation, or, or they're growing up uh, to, uh, to obey everything that Christ has commanded us, what Jesus says. So Matthew 28, very important, kind of the clarion call. What was the next sort of major text that we need to know? The book of Acts. The book of Acts. What in particular does Acts teach us when it comes to Matthew 28 and thinking about Matthew 28? 
The importance of the church, yeah. So discipleship happens in and through the local church, we might say. It's carried out through the church, this call to, to make disciples. It's not, it, is, it, it happens at the individual level as we work that out, but it happens in and through the corporate body. In Acts, we see the gospels preached, churches are planted, leaders are established, and those congregations, they gather every week. And why do they do that? Why do they gather? Well, to be built up, yeah, and the end goal is to scatter back out, right. But we grow together to be built up, to be edified, to be encouraged by the, by the gathering. Yep. So this means then that as our congregations grow to maturity, we saw this in Acts, that more leaders are raised up, more churches are planted, uh, and the Great Commission continues to increase. So that the local church then is, is where we need to focus our discipling efforts. It needs to kind of happen in and through the church, so like, Parachurches, that's fine. Navigators, those things. Campus Crusade, I'm sure that maybe this impacted you in some way. But the program for discipling is the local church. So we want to we come under that. So it's a corporate effort, but it's also an individual effort too. And that leads us to our third major text. What is it? Do you remember? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. And what do we learn there? A lot, but... Christ gets the body... Christ gifts the body individually. So we're all, we're, we're all, we all have a part to play in this discipling endeavor. We've all been gifted, and the Lord wants us to, to be equipped by the leadership of that church, right? The pastors, the teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. He wants us to be equipped by the leadership to use our gifts effectively as we share truth with each other, and the body is then built up. That's what Ephesians 4 says. So we looked at that. That was our vision. And that was really part one of our class. Then part two, we started, we started in on part two last week. And we talked about what? Modeling. 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 What do we mean by that word? Living a life worth following. Okay, right. Living a life worth following. So as a disciple, this is part two. So part one was sort of the vision. Part two we might call practices of discipleship. And this first practice is modeling. Modeling or, or living a life worth following. And we learned there that influence is inevitable, right? So it's not about if we're going to influence, but how we're going to influence. So you can't think, well, I'm just going to kind of stay on the sidelines when it comes to discipling, and I'm not going to influence anyone in the church for good or bad. So that's... <laughs> Somebody's in that drawer. Yeah, this is not my night. <laughs> Influence is happening all the time. You know, you don't believe that, just ask a parent, right? Uh, we're always influencing our kids, and the same is true in the church. So that should light a fire in us to be the best influence we can be uh, for the sake of each other in the body. So we looked at, um, I didn't want you to be discouraged and thinking about, oh, I've got to live a life worth following, I can never measure up to that, therefore I can never disciple. That's not the, not the end goal there. So we looked at three kind of fundamental areas that need to be in our lives and we need to be growing in if we're going to be effective disciples. So what would that be? What were they? Okay, yeah. How to handle our sin. Because we sin as believers, right? First John. So we looked at First John 1 and First John 2 there, how we handle our sin. We don't want to be denying it, blame shifting, covering it up. We, need, we want to be freely confessing it to the Lord and humbly confessing it to him and looking to Christ. So that's huge, how we handle our sin. What else? What's another area, key area in our lives? How you pursue mind renewal and growth. 
He can read. That's good. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, Gary. Yes, how to pursue mind renewal and growth. So remember the log, log and the spec principle. If we are eliminating logs from our eyes, what's going to happen? We're going to be able to see clearly to help other people change and grow. So that's the principle. As we're, as we're renewing our minds and we learn, and we learn how, how the growth process works, for our own lives, we're overcoming sin in our own lives, slowly, painfully, I get it. But we're going to have clarity then to be able to help other people do the same thing. So it starts with us. Second area, how we pursue mind renewal and growth. And then what's the third area? We didn't really even talk about this one. How we view trials. Yeah, how we view trials. So the Lord, one of the tools in the Lord's hands is trials in our lives, difficult circumstances, things we wouldn't plan for ourselves. And he has all kinds of good purposes in those trials for us. But if we don't know that, we don't know what God is doing in the trial in the sense of how he's using the trial to sanctify us and make us more like Christ, then we're cutting ourselves off from a a chief tool for the Lord to use in our lives to make us more like him. And we're not going to be able to speak clearly into the life of another believer um, whenever they're undergoing trial as well. So we're never ready. I I don't want you to end week two. In this modeling thing, thinking, okay, I've got to be ready. I've got to hit this readiness level because we never are fully ready. We've got to enter into the flow of discipleship. That's what we called it. The flow meaning, you know, just getting involved in people's lives and letting people in our lives um, because it's, it's through this flow of discipleship that, that we actually grow, right? So we, as we connected with other people, as we understand their burdens, their trials, their sin patterns, guess what that dredges up in us? Areas we need to grow, trials, sin patterns. So it's just, it's it's a uh, it's kind of like a circle. I view I envision it as like a circle, right? So I've got you know me as the no, I'm discipling, or I'm, I'm the disciple, discipler, you know, and the disciplee. I don't know how to spell that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of kind of works like this. The kind of the growth process, like is I'm I'm in process, and so is the the person I'm discipling, and so the more I. Disciple, the more I particularly grow. So, again, all that's just review. And that leads us really to today and a, a really relevant question. It's like, okay, Clay, all this has been great. Got a vision for discipleship. Uh, I know I need to be modeling these things, so I'm, I'm working on the areas you've given me. But how do I actually get into one of these relationships? Right? So how does, this, how does one of these relationships start? How do we find someone to disciple? And really, we've essentially got two options. One is it gets arranged for you, right? So either you come to a pastor and you say, or a Sunday school class teacher, and say, hey, I'd like to be used, you know, in someone's life. Can you pair me up with somebody? And that's great. Um, If that's you and that's what you feel, go to your Sunday school class teacher and and tell them that. Um, We've paired up lots of people here. But that's the first option. So somebody arranges it for you. But another option, and the one I'm going to angle on tonight, is kind of starting from, from, from ground zero, all right? And the other option is that you initiate that relationship yourself. Think me? Initiate a discipling relationship? Yes. Um, you initiate the relationship yourself. So tonight we're going to add another kind of practice for an effective discipler, and I call it befriending. So you can see it there on your outline. Befriending. And that's because an effective discipler is proactive in relationships. 
Doesn't mean you're going to disciple all these relationships necessarily, but you're proactive in them. In other words, you don't wait around and just wait to be asked to disciple. Instead, we should lovingly initiate friendships with people that we don't know in the church. So I'm going to pretend that we're, you know, the hypothetical person I'm talking to tonight is the person that's not discipling anyone and doesn't really have any connections. Okay, so I'm sure that that's, we all have connections in the church at some level, but I want to kind of build you from the ground up and say, okay, I don't have anybody in my life. How do I, how do I get somebody in my life? Now, as soon as I say that, talk about befriending and initiating relationships, what rises up in our hearts? Fear, 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 fear. Yes. <laughs> what are you afraid of? Messing up. <laughs> Messing up. Okay, we've, we've kind of hit that one. Yeah, we're always kind of afraid of messing up. But what do we remember? Christ is with us, right? We're in progress. As long as we stay humble, we're in the church. We've got help. Yep, we're afraid of messing up potentially. What else? What did you say? I'm afraid they'll say yes. Why are you afraid they'll say yes? Then you've got to follow through. <laughs> what are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of in that? Follow, having to follow through? The time. Yeah, the time. So why? Because why? There's commitment, and it's going to require work from us, right? Energy, effort. It's much easier to watch the Duke Carolina game last night. Sorry, I had to work that in, Rich. That's bad. Just so I know my enemies. Do we have any Duke fans in the house? Okay. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even. I'm not going to brag. That's your shepherding. Yeah. Okay, let's rein it in. All right? No more UNC comments. They might slip out. You never know. All right, so we're afraid of the hard work. Uh, it's It's easier to kind of do what we want to do we think that's we kind of think that's a more fulfilling life if we can just kind of do what we want to do and just kind of have the easy easy free life but it's really not the fruitful life as we invest in other people is like the one of the most profound and joyful and rewarding things we could possibly do yeah so we're, we're afraid of of maybe getting it wrong like ashton said afraid of t- time commitments afraid they'll say yes what else are we afraid of just important to hash these things out on the front end Okay. Yep. So anybody else afraid of being transparent? Okay. Why? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I'm not going to raise my hand. <laughs> He's going to ask me a harder question. <laughs> Why, Cody? Yeah. Sphere like man. Potentially. Yeah. Or no. What do you think? No, I'm thinking just like more more like selfishness on our, on our end. Yeah. Is it good to have your selfishness exposed and repent of that? Yes. You believe that? All right. Sign you up to disciple somebody. It's good. Yeah. I think yeah, there's lots of there's lots of things, you know, hesitancy and that rises up to think, okay, I've got to I've got to initiate I should initiate these relationships. I should be proactive in them versus Kind of the, the holy huddle of the people that we know when we come to church, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
Um, yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not good. And again, let me just, I'll say this a couple times probably throughout the night, but I get the joy and the benefit of shepherding college students, and which means there's always new people coming in at some level. And one of the consistent things I hear all the time is how welcoming this church is. So I want you to know that in some ways I'm preaching to the choir because a lot of you are very proactive in these relationships and, and, and you, you model the things that we're going to talk about. So I just want to dredge this out a little bit and, and get you thinking about why is it that you're hesitant to initiate relationships. So I'm not going to be able to answer that question for you, but you need to be able to answer it. You need to be able to say, wow, for me it's this, this, and this. And these are the things I'm going to ha- – these are the roadblocks I'm going to have to overcome um, or at least they're, they're standing right here in the way. Um, you know, sometimes we think, I'm timid, my personality, you know, my, the way I'm wired. And that's true. Like, you may be wired that way. And there's beauty and gift, there's, there's beauty and strength to the timid person, the kind of meek personality, you know, versus the kind of headstrong, just kind of take the hill person. So the Lord needs us all in this endeavor, but we all need to be proactive in in various ways in these relationships. So what I want to do tonight is just give you, kind of hang our material on uh, five encouragements that are going to help you befriend others and initiate relationships. And you can see, I'll I'll cover these quickly, or just kind of work through these quickly because um, they're on your sheet. But the first encouragement that I'd give you is uh, you need to remember how and why the Lord initiated a relationship with you. All right. Remember how and why the Lord initiated a relationship with you. So you can open to Romans 15. It's another one of those crucial texts. We'll just read it together. Romans 15, we'll begin in verse 1. The context here is he's addressing Gentile Christians who are the strong ones and they need to, they, they need to bear with these Jewish Christians. And so that's, that's the context of Romans 15. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now these are about believers that were in conflict. Okay, and so... Paul is telling them to welcome one another in that, in that sense, but it applies, it applies to us too. Take initiative, welcome each other as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that order is very important. He appeals to the fact that Christ has welcomed each one of us. So how has he done that? He saved us, right? I always go back to that. We were dead in our transgressions and sins like we saw this morning. And God in Christ humbled himself, came to us. He didn't wait on us to initiate a relationship with him. He initiated a relationship with us. Um, And it was the greatest act of condescension 
that could ever be known. And so, as the initiating God, then, He is setting us an example. He's enabling us to do this, and He's setting us an example in how He wants us to initiate relationships with one another. And so, I like to think of it like this. God has mercifully befriended me by His own initiation. And now, He's kind of drafted me into the discipling, his discipleship group, if you will. We're sitting around the table, and he expects me to become like him in this area. It's like, I'm going to receive this beautiful privilege, and now he wants me to bend this out. He desires me to befriend other people, and to be motivated by the same kind of initiating and merciful love that he's shown me. And I think when we when this begins to settle in in our hearts and our minds, we also realize that ministry opportunities are literally for the taking all around us. Is that fair? So sometimes what do we think when we talk about ministry? We think of it in, as formal positions, don't we? Like this formal way that I need to, to serve, or for, formal only. The formal is important, very important, because that's how the church you know, pulls off the, the ministry here, especially on Sundays as we gather. So these formal positions like singing in the choir, teaching Sunday school, those are important. They're worthy of pursuit. But the overwhelming biblical priority on ministry is ministering through our relationships to one another. All those one another commands that we think about. And here God is saying he wants us to be the ones to initiate those relationships. And just as pastors, we talk about people who feel like they don't connect or they, they, don't, feel, they, don't, they don't know where they fit in. And I would just like to ask you this question. Is that based on the people around you, or is that based on you? Because here, the Lord has told us, we, we have the burden, when we, when we stand before Him, He's going to ask us, how did you initiate relationships like I initiated with you? And so, the Lord wants to use us to make the body tighter, more interdependent, and He wants us to, to be proactive in creating these relationships. And so that, that leads us really to our second encouragement, and it would be this. this you know, so we need to know that he's befriended us for a purpose. He wants us to, to act out in that same way, but we also need to realize how deeply we need others and how deeply they need you. How deeply you need others and how deeply they need you. You can flip over to Ephesians 4.25 on this one. In other parts of Scripture, we, you know, even the, the body metaphor that Paul often uses, on, a, on our best days, on our best days, God has designed us to be interdependent. Does it make sense? Like on your most spiritual day, your most spirit-filled day, you are still interdependent. You still need the gifts and the, the abilities of others involved in your life. And if that's true on our best days, we desperately need each other on our worst days. Do you agree? Okay. So, when, when are our worst days? When we're caught in sin. Okay, we're caught in sin. And if you think back 
to the previous time we were talking about renewing our minds, what's at the baseline of that? Like, what's at the most, what's at the root of our sin, sin problems? Deception. Yes. Deception. So, just panning this out. When you are deceived, do you know that you're deceived? No. So how do we come out of deception? By the help of others through the truth, right? People bringing the truth to us. And that's, that's why Paul goes here in Ephesians 4. So he's, we've spent a significant time in this passage. And it's talked about, he's talked about the corporate body and the role of equipping from the leadership because we need the truth coming to us. That's how we grow up. Then as this truth settles in, as we learn to renew our minds and take it, you know, put off the old man, put on the new, all that's happening. Now look in verse 25. Here's the, essentially the first body life command. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. So the point is, is you as individual believers, you get involved in the church, you get equipped by your pastors and your teachers and all those things, you're growing in the truth, you're, renewing your own, you're learning to renew your own mind. Now guess what? Your call, the first command, is for you, now that you've put away falsehood, to get in the lives of other people in your church and start helping them with the truth. And that's because we desperately need each other. So that implies a whole lot of things, right? We've got to know each other well enough to be able to see these patterns and to be able to talk to each other in ways that are effective and helpful, and, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But all I'm trying to do here is is help you lay the foundation that you need other people and they need you in this body. So, let me say it even more convictingly, if I can, I'm trying to think of ways. If you are on the sidelines and you are not in people's lives in the church, you're harming the body. Why? You're withholding a gift. Yeah. You're, you're slowing down the corporate maturing of this body because you're uninvolved. If you're a believer, God has saved you. And if you're a believer of Timberlake, God has saved you and put you in Timberlake because He intends to use you. And that's the great joy, even if we feel like we're not useful, right? He's put you here to be used. So we have to realize how deeply we need others and that they need us as well. Now, That leads us to our third, what did I call these, encouragements? Our third encouragement, and that would be this. We need to commit to act by faith and not fears or feelings. We should commit to act by faith, not fears or feelings. You can turn over to Galatians 2 if you're not already there. We live a lot of our lives controlled by fear or controlled by how we feel. And that's not the Christian life. The Christian life, says Paul in Galatians 2.20, is a life that's controlled by the truth, that's, that's being latched onto by faith, or controlled by Christ. So he says it here in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live 
by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when Paul wakes up in the morning, and he's thinking about the day before him, he's thinking about trusting Jesus, trusting his words, and orienting his life around Christ and his words, according to this text. Paul's not thinking about what he or he's putting aside what he feels, what he wants, what he thinks is important, what he might prefer, and he's thinking about what does a life of faith in the Son of God, a life in His Word, trusting His words, what would that look like today in my life? And that's what he's prioritizing. So, for us, for you and I, when it comes to initiating relationships, it's a very frightening thing, like we've said at times. We fear rejection, we fear these other things. So, one of the, the principal convictions that need to be in our heart is we need to learn to live by the truth. So, God has commanded us to do this. He's saved us to do this. We just saw that. So the thing that, that needs to be deep in our hearts is a commitment that we're going to act on what we see and what we know versus what we fear or what we feel. So we might think, well, what does that look like to do that? Well, that leads us to, to number four. This is where we're getting practical. Fourth encouragement. We warmly greet others and introduce yourself. Sounds profound. We should warmly greet others and introduce ourselves. Did you know the Bible actually commands you to greet people? It's not a throwaway verse. It's a command. Alright, so a good example of this is 1 Thess 5.26. All right, young college ladies, don't get excited about this. <laughs> Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. The ladies are thinking, whoa, I'm not excited about that at all. I should say young college guys don't get excited, but definitely don't get excited about this. So the point here is obviously it's, it's a command. How, how we greet one another, how we, how we interact with one another matters. And Paul's point here is that we're spiritual family and we should treat each other like family. So this would not have been weird um, in the first century, uh, even though it might be odd to us Americans today. But the idea is warmth and familial love, this open sort of reception of a family member. I mean, that's what's happening. When we meet a Christian, we're meeting our adopted brothers and sisters for the first time. That's what it is. So I see a stranger, it's like, great, I don't know you, that's okay. I know Christ, you know Christ, and we're siblings, so I should probably meet you. Especially if you're in my church, or in my Sunday school class. It just, you know, as the concentric circles get tighter and tighter, you know, our responsibility goes up, right, for meeting people. So when we meet a Christian, we're meeting our adopted brothers and sisters for the first time. Now, I'm talking about greeting others and introducing yourself. And this doesn't mean you're going to disciple every single person you greet or uh, say hi to or introduce yourself to. That's not what I'm saying. 
It does mean that you're opening yourself up to more and more opportunities, though, for discipleship. And then you communicate the warmth of Christ and your openness toward the, the lives and problems of others just by initiating a conversation, right? So when you go up to other people on Sundays or whenever it is, and you say, hey, what, what's your name? You know, and I'm, I'm so-and-so. And you begin to talk, it just communicates something. What does it communicate? Yeah, that you're interested in them. Did you greet care? Them, greet them warmly if, if you don't know them, and you figure they may be visiting. Yeah, they could be visiting. So it communicates love. It communicates warmth. And they're ninety nine percent of the time not going to like Pastor Brian says, cough up an alligator to you and immediately enter into a discipling relationship just because you greeted them. But what that does is sort of lays a foundation. It kind of pay, begins to pave the way for these significant relationships that communicates, look, I'm here, I love you, I'm ready to listen, I'm ready to get to know you. All from just taking the initiative and not just kind of coming to church and kind of finding your favorite seat and just sitting down and just waiting on the service to start. Or coming to your Sunday school class and talking to the one friend that you know and when you see three or four people that kind of look out of place because they've not really been there, they're new, or they've only been there a couple weeks. So the church, and we feel that a lot, you know, in our college ministry because it's fairly transient. You know, we've kind of got a solid core, and then a lot of people come in and out, friends of friends, and um, and so we we have to work really hard at this. And uh, and again, just our students say that you guys are very encouraging. So um, so be encouraged by that. Very welcoming. And if you're going to apply this, I would start in your Sunday school class. And kind of work out from there. Now, let me just take a minute and talk about the shepherding structure of our church. So, can I talk about that for a second? Do I have time? Yeah, I think we do. We're on point four. Your class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we all, we, we know I can just end things if I want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, this is all like part of my secret plan that we just hire a music, an actual music director. <laughs> Can we just agree to do that? Okay. Where was I? Shepherding structure. All right. I'm just going to abbreviate so I don't have to write a lot. All right? Shepherding structure here. So in a local church, where does the shepherding start? I'm going somewhere with this, okay? What? Christ, yes. It starts with him. And in the local church, how does that pan out? Elders. Okay, elders, yep. Your eldership. So elders, and I'm going to put up here, kind of with this, these elders, we'll put pastoral staff. So I'm not an elder, but I'm part of I'm part of the paid pastoral staff and I do a lot of shepherding. So kind of like an elder in training, if you will. Pastoral staff, and then we'll put teachers as well. Okay? I'm thinking like a, like a Dave Montgomery who is seasoned, he's effective, he's a, he's a good shepherd, Maranatha class. So you've got the elders or pastoral staff and the teachers are here. And then the way we do it at TBC, there's no like magic formula for this. It's just you have to, we have over, we have like 600 people here. So the way that we carve up shepherding is through the Sunday school class ministry. And it's like an elder-led or, or teacher-led Sunday school class ministry. So they, they kind of come down here, so we'll, let's put boundless... And then, you know, Rich is an elder, and he's there with me, and Clay. 
And then we'll put, I'm just thinking, going up, up the line here, Koinonia, and that would be Michael, so part of the pastoral staff, Michael, Michael Lori, and then going up the line, what's the next one, family life, is that the next one? Yeah. Family life, and so we've got uh, Pastor Jeff and Mark Hager, and then we have, what's the next one? Abundant Life. Abundant Life with Pastor Brody. And then uh, Wisdom Seekers. Yeah, that's right. Wisdom Seekers. Wisdom Seekers with Don, he's one of our elders. And then over here, Maranatha with Dave Montgomery, one of our teachers. So, this is sort of. What? Grace Walk, what am I doing? Yes. <laughs> With Mike. Yeah, it's at the top now. See, you got the top. All right. But it messed up my flow. All right, let's come down here. Put you behind, boundless. All right. So then. So that, that's our kind of like, if you want to kind of think of it, maybe we could do it like this. Like, here's all these groups. This is really crude, Tim. This is worse than yours that you sent me. I should have just printed this out. All right, you kind of get the point. All right. So those are, that's our congregation. And then within these, we have, we have leadership teams. So I'll just put leadership. And various classes maybe do it differently based on the size of the class and those things. I'll, I'll give you an example for Boundless because we're pretty big. And so we need, a lot of, we need a lot of help to disciple people. And so then that, that kind of happens this way. You know, the individual believers are getting discipleship through the leadership. And so it's kind of being carried out that way. So when I say start in your Sunday school class, I'm not just simply giving you kind of a, a pragmatic idea like, hey, this is a one good idea. When I say start in your Sunday school class, there's these shepherding, shepherding structures in place. And so when you're, let's say you're a college student, and you're here, and you're like, hey, I want to disciple somebody, and then there might be a friend that you can connect with here, but you're in this nice structure, and that friend is connected to a leader most likely, and connected to Rich or I, and we're part of the, part of the elder team here that's meeting every week to pray and shepherd and discuss issues that come up, and so it's all connected and then, like we said, Christ is the head, so we're, we're praying to him you know, for, these, for these issues, seeking his wisdom and all that stuff. So, when you start in your Sunday school class, or you're shepherding your area of ministry here, you're kind of, you're kind of coming up under that. So, practically, what I would say is start. It doesn't mean you can't do this. That certainly needs to happen you know, in the body, for sure. But this just helps us kind of keep everybody, everybody kind of in the same orbit and on track together. So, if you're thinking about applying this warmly, greet others, introduce yourself, definitely look for new people, visitors, those kinds of things, but make sure you know those people in your classes. Start there, and begin to work outward. So, what's next then? Your small groups out of your Sunday school class. Right, and that would be kind of like, you know, we, we personally don't have small groups, but like this, like Michael's class would have, you know, small group here, Small group here, and I know it's not neat. Some people go to other small groups, but that's the general idea, is that the small groups are even underneath the oversight of these elders and pastoral staff. So um, that's, yeah, that's the goal. Totally. Yeah, even when the classes are bigger, you can kind of begin to, to break those up even further and connect there. Yeah. 
So, if there's somebody that you perceive that you've met, you know, that either needs some investment or you sense there's an openness for investment, then the next thing I would say is, is this fifth encouragement here. You spend time together outside the church gathering. And again, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I mean, I know that for the highly relational people in here, you're like, uh, and then for the less relational people, you're like, thank you. Thank you for helping us uh, work these things out. All right. Spend time together outside the church gathering. You can look up on your own later, Acts 2.46. You see this a lot in the example of the early church. They're gathering corporately and they're gathering in homes. And it's constant. Um, they are with each other. They're spending time together outside of, of even corporate the corporate gathering. And there's one particular command in Romans 12.9. And that's the command to pursue hospitality. And that applies directly to what we're talking about right now. Paul commands the church to to actually be proactive in the pursuit of this this hospitable activity. Is it yeah, 13, so it is. Thanks Tim. Yes, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So you correct that on your outline, Romans 12, 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So hospitality is, you know, you, you've heard this before, I'm sure, but it's, it's the love of strangers, this sort of, you got, you got this, I call them strange Christians. You have, uh, you know what I mean, Christians you don't know in the, in the church or that come into your life. In, in, within the local body and we're commanded to love them to welcome them to show them uh, the love of Christ to meet their needs that's the idea of hospitality and Paul here tells us that we're going to need to seek it he doesn't just tell us to show it but to seek to show it which means it's going to be a deliberate choice because why? is hospitality easy? is not um, it is not easy. And, and don't just think, when, it, when I say hospitality, don't just think opening your home. That's very important and very good to do. Hospitality, I like to call it the spirit of hospitality, which is an open life. So it's, it's a life that's open to others. It's welcoming to others. It's saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And it's, it's, a, it's a life of openness, and that flows out. My heart is open toward you, and so are my resources. So you don't have to have a house to be hospitable. To be able to meet needs. So, how do you practically do this? How do you practically kind of go from like not knowing somebody to greeting them to actually spending time together, uh, maybe in your home if you have one? Well, here's some practical suggestions for you. Exchange numbers. So you strike up a conversation. You're starting to talk, kind of the small talk, or the hey, how'd you come here? And this, and it kind of you kind of you it begins to to go well for you. Just say, hey, I would love to get your number. And, you know, would that, would that be okay if I could kind of maybe reach out to you at some point? Most people are going to say, yeah, sure. So just swap numbers right there. Now you, have their, now you have their contact info. Now don't be weird about it. You know, if they're a visitor, they're trying to just scope out the church. They're not trying to, you know, I'm not sure they're going to land here. You don't have to hawk them, okay? But you get it, okay? 
So exchange numbers is helpful. And then when you come into the gathering, know your schedule ahead of time. Okay, think about the gathering as not just like I'm coming in to hear a sermon and sing some songs and maybe see a few people I know. But think about it as this is my time that all these people are coming in here that, and there's all these kinds of ministry opportunities that I could set up this week. But I'm not going to set them up if I don't know when my, t- when my times are to set them up. Does that make sense? So if you can kind of know your schedule ahead of time and know your pockets of time, or even better, have intentional time set aside that you know you can do this. Okay? That you know you can do this. So have things that you know that you can invite them to. So one, one way that uh, Rich and Christy, Mary and I, and some others have, have done this regularly in college ministry is we have Sunday lunches at our house. And we just know, like, it's inconvenient because I'm a pastor. <laughs> it's the busiest day of my week. But it, we wouldn't trade it for anything else because it's, it, it's, it's like one of the highlights of our week. Same? Yeah. So they had to say that. <laughs> actually, Rich and Christy are the reasons that Mary and I do this. They actually discipled us in this. So it's sweet, full circle. So, um, so having that regular time to just, to just say, okay, I'm going to meet this person, talk to this person, and swap numbers maybe. And I'm just like, hey, do you have lunch plans? You know, right after the Sunday gathering, people are like, what? He's asked me over to his house. Yes, come on. You don't even know me. That's okay. You know, these 10 other people that came over last week, I didn't know them either. So, um, so that's just a, a sweet, regular time that, that we can have together that you can know that you can invest, uh, that you can invite people to. Other ideas, you know, if you're like, oh, Sunday lunches are too intense, which I get it. Um, you can fold people into your daily rhythms and routines. Now, my wife and I, Jim, you okay there? (laughs) There's usually an answer button. (laughs) You got it. You can teach an old dog new tricks. (laughs) Brutal. All right, let's see. Where are we at? Oh, yes. Folding people into the rhythms of your life. Now, for the longest time I used to say this. Just fold people into the rhythms of your life. And then I got married and had three kids. And I told my wife, just fold people into the rhythms of your life. And she says, do you want the college girls folding your underwear? And I was like, probably not. Um... So what I mean by this is you don't have to sometimes, my wife is extremely, uh, her, her, her life is full, right? So she's, she's got little ones, that's her primary responsibility. I try to free her up to, to shepherd them as much as possible. But we also know we need, to, we, we need and want to, to shepherd the young ladies. And so she has a few kind of slots that she's set aside, and some of you ladies have, have been to her house in these moments, and you help her do stuff, you know, you come along, and, or she's doing stuff, and you've got to be okay with her multitasking, because she's cutting up the, the cucumbers, you know, for dinner, or for the next event that we're doing, and, um, and she's interacting with you around, around that. So, uh, that's a, just a great example of just picking somebody, folding them into your life, doing the things you do, and nine times out of ten, I mean, you, you, that might be, they might wish they had your full and undivided attention, but they'll probably take just your attention, um, even if it's not completely, you know, full and undivided. So, and 
they're learning from you in the process. So you're inviting them into, into, into your life and into your, even your family life and the family dynamics. And they're seeing how you treat your kids. They're seeing how you, uh, how you respond when you get angry, um, how you repent of that. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, we don't have them fold laundry, though. So I try to keep that to myself. <laughs> so, yeah, there's all, all kinds of ideas. You know, have people over for a meal, for coffee, if you're able. Um, so it, there's no one-size-fits-all here. But the, the point is just to try to be spending time together as you can, as it fits your schedule, as it's not taking away from other areas of responsibility the Lord has given you to steward. Um, you know, if it's, if it's once a week, if it's once a month, whatever it is, just be weaving people in. If you have parents and college students are, are watching your kids, you know, for nursery or a Sunday school class, you know, just have them over once a month. Kind of make that a goal. Like, I'm going to have this, these students, this little team, over once a month for dinner and just get to know them a little bit because they're teaching your kids anyway. I mean, wouldn't that be helpful to know? Um, so, so do that and just find ways to fold people in. So if you want a resource on this and, and some inspiration, uh, Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And you, I mean, it's popular. You've probably read it or heard of it. Um, but what the power of the book is it gives you these little, like, vignettes of her life. And again, if you're not Rosaria, that's okay. You don't have to be. I've had that conversation with Mary many times. Okay, that she's not you. You're not her. You're gifted differently. Because um, it's radical. It is, it's, it's a radical form of hospitality. But it gives you these little vignettes, and it helps you see the fruitfulness that comes from having an open life. And so I think that's, that's the, the power of that book. <clears throat> All right? So when we get together, what do we do? Okay, so you're, you're folding these people in. You're having them over for dinner. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. <clears throat> what's, what, what, what do we do now? Well, you enjoy their company, and you deepen the relationship. Okay, that's... Encouragement number six, and our last one. Enjoy their company and deepen the relationship. And I've written down a lot of text here. And sort of the principle, I mean, you can look them up later and kind of figure out how they, how they contribute here. But I think sometimes when we think about Paul, we think he was this really intense guy. And granted, you've got to be pretty intense to, to do what he did. But I think if we were to meet Paul, we would be stunned by his love. We would be stunned by how he just, he enjoys spending time with believers and interacting with believers and laughing with believers and crying with believers and just just putting his agenda aside and focusing on spending time and enjoying the company of believers. He says that in Romans 15, 24. He says, I want to come and enjoy your company for a while as he's talking to the Romans. First Thess says, uh, First Thess two eight talks about how he he opened his not just he didn't just give them the gospel he gave them his heart he opened his heart to them. Um, shared his very life I think is the language he uses in First Thessalonians two eight. And so, one of the things I think about is I'm maybe coming into a dinner with somebody I don't know or uh, maybe even just a coffee where I'm getting to know a guy or. We're having people over for lunch, for our Sunday lunches. As I just think about the great, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, but just like the great wonder of another image bearer, of another human being. This is somebody that's sitting across from me. This person is full of, of just sort of mystery, right? Like, if they know the Lord, they've been gifted by him for a purpose. 
They have a background. They have millions of experiences that have shaped who they are today. They're likely bearing significant burdens. They have sin they need help with, like I do. And I, the, the beauty is it's up to us to figure that out. And it's not all going to happen in one conversation. Um, it's, up, it's up to us to kind of draw that out, to get to know them and enjoy the process, enjoying their company, enjoying who they are, learning about them. And so, you know, we've seen this. I think, I think Paul would have been a model for us in this kind of love and, and intentionality. And so how do, you, how do you do this? How do, you grow, how do you grow this kind of relationship? And I think I put this on your outline. I gave you some kind of some ideas here. And I would just say by asking questions thoughtfully. All right, it's not an inquisition. You're not grilling them. Um, but just asking thoughtful questions, like thinking about the kinds of things that you want to know and that you want to, to learn about this other person or these people that are, that are with you. Now, saying, what do I, like, what, what is there to talk about? What, what can I know? Look at your other handout. This, just be careful, because this was just like an ad hoc, I sat down this afternoon and just blitzed through as many, well, last night and this afternoon, and just blitzed through as many questions as I could think of in about an hour period. And categories, the things to talk about, this is not comprehensive, it's half-baked, okay? So I'm just, I'm telling you that on the front end, but this, I just, I wanted to just give you no excuse, okay? I want to give you as many questions as possible to kind of begin thinking about, okay, these are questions you can put them in your own words, ask them tactfully. You know, some of my questions are pretty direct, as those of you who know me. I'm sorry. Um, I don't have the smooth butter of Rich. He is just a gracious dude. Um, I'm not so much. Trying to still learn. Rich is still discipling me. So, But if you learn to ask thoughtful questions, I think that's, that's where it's at. Really, people, again, it comes back to the idea that people are just are begging to be discovered. And, um, and we can't help people unless we know them. So, and that, I mean, you even apply that if you like counseling, if you're, in, if you're involved in that, which that's just discipling, by the way. Um, if you're involved in that, you know that. You know, it's just the first counseling meeting is always just like, I don't even begin to know what the issues are. It's like, they're like the iceberg, right? Like, you've got the... Ooh, how many space? I don't want to erase all that. So, you know, they're they're the iceberg, and and this is what you see, and this is who they are, you know, all this down here, and so you want to discover that, um, and that's just part of being in relationships. We're gonna be we're gonna be with one another eternally. So, because we're in the family of God, so we get to we get to begin that process of learning about each other now, and trying to help each other in that way. So. It starts with asking questions, and I've given you a list of them there that you can look at later. And then when you're asking questions, it's, it's very important that you learn the practice of listening. Every wife says, amen. Um, that should be to our shame, men. Uh, it, honestly. If, if our wives are thinking, he doesn't listen to me, that, that, should, that should break us as men. We should be men who, who our ears are open to the needs of our, of our wives. So, we need to learn to listen attentively, which means don't interrupt. So when someone's talking, just let them talk. Let them listen. I always think, even if they talk a lot, and I do, I talk a lot, so I get this. If, when people talk a lot, you're always learning. 
You're always learning about them when they're talking. So avoid being hurried with people. Don't always or immediately come back to yourself in conversation. Like, you know, I think we do this and we mean well because we're trying to identify with their experience and we immediately jump in and insert. We stop them from sharing and we say, let's have a meet, you know, and then it becomes about us. And we have to fight that urge to just immediately come back to ourselves in conversation. And we want to learn to, to, to not just stop with, okay, I asked the one question, they answered me, but then I always think about it as like, whoa, that just raised like five more questions that I want, to, I want to know about you. And so I might take one of those, and I think, what about this? You know, and just kind of explore that follow-up question. So, so learn to ask follow-up questions, as again, the principle is you're just seeking to understand them. So you want to listen, to, listen attentively, attentively, there we go, and then empathize sincerely. All right, this is the, this is the weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You're entering into uh, their joys uh, the things they enjoy, the things that the Lord is doing in their life, and you are just coming alongside that and getting excited about those things. And you're feeling their burdens. You're feeling their pain. You're, you're weeping with them as, they, as they're going through hardship, and you're coming alongside them. So, again, this, is, this happens naturally as we learn to love, but it's, it's good to just point out that as we... Um, deepening a relationship involves learning to empathize, it also involves learning to, to share yourself, to share transparently. That's what I put on your outline. So it's not just a one-way street. They've got to get to know you too. This is about opening yourself up to them. And I think Paul would have, would have agreed here. He opened himself up to the people that he shepherded. And we can't expect other people to open to us if we're unwilling to open ourselves up to them. So share your testimony. Share how you met your spouse. Share the joys of life, what you're learning, the fun things about you. Just help them get to know you. Maybe even a struggle that you're having. I was uh, massively impacted by this not too long ago. I think a couple of us were together in, in, this, in this conversation. We were down at, at a conference, at the Courageous Churchman Conference in Florida. And one of our mentors and professors and a, a pastor down there kind of had us in a, five or six of us in a circle, and he's like, I want you to, in a, in a couple sentences, like, tell me, what did he say, Tim? What was, he, what was his question to us? Were you in that conversation? A 30-second update on life. Yeah, give me a 30-second update on life or a burden that you have or whatever it was. And, you know, we all took more than 30 seconds, but we, we kind of shared. And then it kind of got around the, the horn, and nobody even asked him, hey, you share. And he just opened up, told us about things that were going on, things he was afraid of, that he was afraid of being persecuted, and how he'd worked through that the things he had gone to another pastor on staff for counseling about that. He had read these books and learned these truths. And he was, and he was just, and he said, I, I asked him, hey, did you write any of that down? I was trying to you know, glean from him. And he was like, no, it's too fresh. I haven't even begun to kind of really you know, write any of that stuff down. And this, I'm not impacted me at least. I mean, I'm sure it impacted everybody else, but here's a guy that we all look up to and he's just being transparent with us, you know, right in that moment. So take the lead in being vulnerable uh, vulnerability is inherently risky. So, you know, if we're discipling people, we want to take that plunge first. You're modeling so many things. You're pro- you, even as you process, um, even as you talk with them, you know, about your sin struggles, you're also sharing with them the ways that you're renewing your mind and how the Lord's teaching you in that. And, and so you're modeling for them what mind renewal looks like, change, and all those, all those kinds of things. 
And don't be afraid to ask them to pray for you. Tell them ways they can pray for you. And, um, and again, you're just, you're just setting the spiritual temperature in this, in this friendship. So uh, we're out of time. So let me just kind of wrap up real quick. And if you've got some questions, we can, we can hang around afterwards. But we're going to go beyond this. Okay, this is just sort of, you can think about this as like the first step. This befriending is kind of the first step in a, in a discipling relationship. And so let me give you some, some things to do with this, with, this, with this lesson tonight. If what we discuss is relatively new for you, okay, if this is kind of a, these are some new concepts, proactive, you really don't know that many people, if that's you, determine that on Sunday, the next time we gather, you're going to meet one new person and you're going to find out a little bit about them. Okay? It's your homework. Like meet one new person and find out a little bit about them. And if you're really ambitious, set aside some time in your schedule this week so when you meet that person, you can ask them to out to coffee or to a meal or, or whatever it is. Or at least, at the least, pray for them. And then two Sundays from now, follow back up with them and ask how that thing was going that you that they, they told you that you could pray for. So again, just talking about trying to build relationships. So second category, if you've got a lot of people that you know, and you know them kind of casually here at Timberlake, so you've got some friends, make a list of those connections. Think strategically kind of about where those people are. And prayerfully think through who you could most minister to by spending time with them and showing sincere interest in them. Does that make sense? So take one of these categories and think, okay, who's hungry? Who, who, could, I, who could I invest time in that w- it would be a fruitful fruitful thing to do ideally that doesn't have anyone already investing in their life ideally so start in your Sunday school class and work out from there and then if this is something that you habitually do like let's say you've got people in your life that you know you're discipling and you're investing in at some level whether formally or informally grab somebody that you're discipling and challenge them to do the same thing does it make sense Challenge them to think of the gathering in a proactive, outward way. To think, okay, who in our sphere of influence is new? Who in our sphere of influence could you go up to and talk to? And point them out and say, and sometimes I even say, hey, you see that person over there? And they're like, yeah. Go talk to them. <laughs> okay. So then they go, they go and do that. You know, and so it's, just, it's, it's on our radars as pastors and leaders you know, when people are kind of off in the corner. It's like, okay, if somebody needs to go to them and, and see how they're doing. So take one of the people you're discipling and, uh, and push them in that, in that way. And then take one of those people as well, and I would encourage you, share an area of weakness in your life, an area of weakness that the Lord is working on you in, and ask them to pray for you in that area. Again, just thinking about how you can open up more to the people that you're, that you're involved in. All right? And we will circle back around next week and kind of take the next, the next step in this, in this curriculum. All right? Seem doable? Baby steps. All right? Baby steps as we're working on this. And again, I'm preaching to the choir. Many of you are doing this so well. Um, you're a model to, to us as well in this. So let's pray. Father, thank you just for the tremendous blessing of being able to get involved in the lives of your people. We pray for fruit, for your glory, for our joy and the good of others. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.